0: So today we're talking to Gadi. Hi, Gadi. Hi. Uh, Gadi is a software engineer at uh, Cognitech and Newbank, and we will try to explore data formats. Um, so where do we start when it comes to data formats?
1: Well, um, I think in the beginning, or at least in the beginning where, um, uh, where I'm concerned, uh, XML was, dominant format and probably is still a a, a dominant format. But uh, um, I think a lot of people tend to view XML negatively, but um, it had a lot of really interesting ideas, but um, a lot of really bad ideas too. So um, when we moved as an industry from XML to JSON, everybody was um, very, very happy that the negative aspects of xml were no longer um present but um we also lost um we lost something critical from xml that json uh never recovered so um and so, that would be the x which is extensibility
0: right and what was the ne- what were the negative parts of xml
1: so um so for one uh Syntactically, a lot of people um, consider XML to be gross because um, uh, one one aspect is the closing tags um, are really annoying to to write. Even if you even if you have uh, an editor that can um, can handle that for you, they're they're annoying to write. They don't parse quickly. Um, XML parsers had like heroic engineering put into them just to get them to you know be um, relatively performant but um, uh, the big thing is that there's um, there's two ways to encode uh, dictionaries or maps you can do um, you can have one uh, one XML element and then a bunch of next nested XML elements and you can consider that to be you know a map where the information is the nested elements mm-hmm. but you can also do a, an XML element and then a bunch of key value attributes on the element and so there's kind of like two ways to encode associative information and um json only has one way to do that and i think that's strictly superior to having two different ways because then you have to in in xml when you're looking for data you have to you have to write different code for plucking it out of elements versus plucking out the data out of uh attributes Um, it's easy in closure, but it's not so easy in other languages. And even um, even with enclosure, just having to do do something two different ways is um, is annoying.
0: Right, and you mentioned we lost the extensibility.
1: When we yeah, to Jason. so I mean, the, the, the classic example here is um, in in JSON, you have a handful of um, Primitive elements, right? You have mm-hmm. you have null, you have booleans, you have um, numbers, you have strings, you have lists and maps. I th- right. think that's it. I would um, But uh, but you don't have dates, right? You only have dates because somebody wrote a string that looks like a date, and you know it's a date because you know what you're looking at, um, mm-hmm. or you see a you see a string that's a date and you know it's a date because it's present in a value um, corresponding to a key in a map and the key has underscore at at the end of it or underscore inst or something like that you have some right. you have some context information but you can't mm-hmm. you can't speak a date into existence in json but um in xml um you can have an arbitrary tag an element in your document and um, wherever that element appears, you can say that it has the same meaning everywhere, and you can make something called a date element, and mm-hmm. um, it's still up to the reader of the XML document to know that they're dealing with a date, but, um, but you can encode that in the, in the reader one in one single place, and when you read the XML document, every element that is a date is going to be turned into whatever you want it to be turned into. In a consistent way, if you do it in JSON, you have to find every instance of something that is a date, or to tag them in a consistent way. It's all by um, convention, or all by out of um, out of context information, which is you know in the programmer's head. So yeah, um, right. that's that's a that's the really the big loss from XML, um, and that's what Eden. Um, restores mm-hmm. when you have tagged literals in Eden where you you know the 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 pound symbol followed by a tag and then followed by a normal value it's just tagging whatever that normal value is so mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like uh, I mean it's a lightweight tagging mechanism but um, like in a in the industry everybody everybody prefers JSON over XML is like of course, of course, we love JSON. It's so great. It's so simple, but it's it's uh, too it's simplistic, right? So you have um, in companies that are passing XML over the wire, you have redundant parsing happening at a thousand different places in, mm. in across your organization. Everybody's doing you know date parsing in some way, and that's just a it's a collective pain that every developer in that organization will will endure and you don't even notice it. It's like, you know, it's like somebody stepping on your foot and you don't notice until they they until they get off of your foot and you're like, oh man, that somebody was on my foot for a long
0: time. But right, that's right.
1: that's what it's like with with um dates in JSON. But it's not just dates, it's everything, you know? Right.
0: Yeah. So you need to have like, as you said, convention for everything, whatever specific domain you want to communicate something with a JSON. You would need to agree company wide. This is my convention for doing this stuff if you're using JSON. Yep. All right. Um, so you mentioned Eden, and of course we love Eden. Uh, Eden is closure, closure is Eden. Uh, but what are the bad parts of Eden? Ooh, that's a interesting question. The bad parts, um
1: uh, so it's not that it's bad, but Eden is really for closure and closure script. It's um I don't think there are many um, readers of Eden in other languages. Um, I think there might have been a Python Eden parser, but I don't I don't know if it was any good. But certainly, almost zero people um, use it that are not in enclosure. So, um, I think it's uh, it's not a, it's not intended for cross language uh, communication, and it's not particularly fast to mm-hmm. print or to read um, uh, i don't think it's that's an inherent limitation but um, um, but i mean it's just not it's not a it's not a speed demon in terms of um, right formats but that's that's
0: one of the the challenges with eden um, mm-hmm. so if i have a system let's say on the back end i have a closure and on the front end i have closure script and i want to communicate between the two uh what will be the recommended way to do this
1: i would use transit um, transit is extremely um, it has very f- favorable performance characteristics in um, almost every language where it's implemented because it relies on uh, json it's sort of superimposed within json and the json parsers um are very mature, and you know, in almost every in almost every language. So, um, what's great about Transit is that it it has the extensibility um, notion that Eden has, that XML has, that JSON doesn't have. Um, it's also fast to parse. It's compact, um, and it can com- compress well. So, um, I would definitely look towards Transit. Um, mm-hmm. In the same category, there's um, freshen i i kind of view eden transit and freshen as all they're they're all um implementations of the same programmatic model in my head in that it's you know it's a rich set of base data types plus extensibility and they 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 each do it in a different way so eden um you know it's familiar to closure programmers but eden uh has delimited syntax transit um, uh, transit is superimposed within JSON, which has delimited syntax. But to encode um, to encode the transit specific data structures, there's a you know there's a scheme within that uses strings and maps in a certain way that transit readers understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and Freshen is um, I, I think it's only implemented on the JVM. And um, it's used by Datomic, but Freshen has a bytecode-based format that is extremely um, uh, uh, space-efficient. So, you know, there there are three different approaches, but I they're the same programmatic model. Um, but mm-hmm. Transit is definitely the the widest applicability, and also even if you're in closure to closure script or just closure to closure, I would recommend Transit because it allows you to. Convey all this—the rich semantics across uh, across wires. So if you're doing HTTP, it's great. If you're dropping messages onto Kafka, Transit's also fantastic for that purpose.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just looking up the repo for Transit, and I can see it's uh, it allows communication closure, closure script, Java, JavaScript, Python, and Ruby.
1: Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if it's you know widely used outside of um, closure and closure script, mm-hmm. but it you certainly can interoperate with it in um, you know within Ruby and Python. Um,
0: where do we any moments where you would say, well, I would recommend freshen over transit. Um, yeah. So,
1: um, if you're encoding, uh, if you're if you care a lot about the um, uh, the compressed size on disk, I would say um, freshen is really, uh, really quite useful. So um, I, I believe that the indices in Datomic are all stored as um, as um, uh, encoded information. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I was working on a, a project with with DynamoDB recently, and um, uh, we, we were considering writing items as um, f- um, freshen blobs into um, into Dynamo DB and, and compressing over um, sort of arrays in in freshen mm-hmm. uh, I would definitely consider it if you were if you were con- if you were con- in control of reading and writing I would say freshen would be um, um, very very uh, uh, it could be a really good solution, if you, especially if you were you were also the, the same reader and the same the same reader of the information was the the writer of the information.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, whether Easy. that's one service or two different services, but especially if it's one service, you should consider freshen because then nobody, you know, uh, it's an implementation detail.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, right. Um, so, also in, um, do you think we should jump to Nippy now or to protocol buffers?
1: Um, it would be useful to contrast um, protocol buffers a little bit. So, protocol buffers mm-hmm. have uh, wide usage, um, especially in statically typed programming languages, um, but not exclusively. But um, a lot of, a lot of. APIs um, provide their. um, uh, Well, a lot of APIs are described using protocol buffers. So if you look at stuff from the Kubernetes ecosystem to uh, anything that uses uh, gRPC, which is a gRPC framework, or um, proxies like the Envoy proxy, uh, the APIs are described in terms of protocol buffers. And so you have these. like the proto files they go through a, a little compiler and those emit uh, readers and writers for um, whatever language you're working with so if i wanted to interoperate with the envoy proxy what i would do is i'd, I'd get those proto files and um, compile them to my language and then that would make a lot of you know auto-generated code for my language Uh, and then I could use them. And anytime some, somebody updates the protocol, the, the protobuf files, um, and when I care about those updates, I need to go to, you know, my, my service or my application and regenerate the code, uh, and check that in, um, or put it as part of the build process. So, um, the disadvantage here is that this is a, this is a step that, uh, you know, you. This is a step you have to do, right? That's just a part of the process. You cannot communicate with protocol buffers without having the protocol buffer definition file. Um, so that's so a fundamental difference from uh, JSON, Eden, Transit, Freshen. Those all of those things. If you hand me, um, if you hand me payloads of JSON, Eden, Transit, Freshen, they're self-describing and I can read them. I might not understand them, but I can read them. Um, if you handed me a protocol buffer, um, um, payload, you couldn't read them at all. It'd just be a series of bytes. So, Mm -hmm. um, I was actually working on a side project to, to read protocol buffers and write them using, um, using closure directly without invoking the, the, protocol buffer compiler um so it involved parsing the protocol files and then um you know generating generating the the readers and writers um in uh, closure based on the red uh, definition files um I'm still kind of working on that on the side but it i think protocol buffers are used a lot and even though they have this massive limitation that you know you need the schema and mm-hmm. um that's super annoying they're i mean they're just in such wide use that it would be really nice to have um a good reader for those that didn't have to you didn't have to compile to java and then read the java jo- interoperate with the java from closure because you know that that leads to all sorts of um you know b- boilerplate code with builders and getters and setters but um, yeah, having, having the ability to participate in that stuff would be great.
0: Right. So you, may, you mentioned they're used everywhere. Like where are they used? like when would I use protocol buffers over anything else? So as
1: I said with like Envoy and Kubernetes ecosystem, like a lot of the um, client libraries for these um, services are, are written in uh, are written based on, Auto-generated protocol buff, uh, proto definitions. So, um, but even if you're not using something like that, I think a lot of um, service companies will use protocol buffers because, uh, well, they'll use them to dis- to interoperate between services, mainly because there's protocol buffer compiler for all the major languages, um, and it encodes, um, it encodes pretty compactly. On the wire, mainly because there's not a you know there's not a schema. It's not self-describing. You need the description to to be able to um, to read the payload. So, um, but I, I've I've seen a lot of companies that use protocol buffers when they have you know a bunch of microservices and they want to say, uh, here's my API. It's generated directly from uh, protobufs. That's that's actually a nice thing that they're. Um, uh, they are API description formats that exist without implementation, right? Um, I'm kind of missing that a little bit uh, uh, in the closure ecosystem, but um, but like I said, the Protobufs have other limitations that that um, aren't as de- aren't as desirable. So
0: mm. um, should we talk about any other limitations apart from the ones you mentioned, or?
1: the self describing is the is the big limitation but um another thing is um you don't get a, a lot of leverage in uh in the protocol buff uh code generated um uh, like the, the code gen isn't very useful all it is is a, is usually a bunch of classes which are artisanal maps where you can um you know set set items get items and do builders um, it's very mutable. It's very um, sort of place oriented, where every you know every piece of information has a place. Um, but the if we did something in closure, it would be really nice to have integration with um, getting automatic specs for your protocol buffers, mm-hmm. getting automatic generators for the those those um, structures. Like I would, I would love to have a protocol buffer. Uh, Library where, um, when you read the definition, the description format, it would automatically register a bunch of specs, and it would also give you generators that were um, useful. Whereas you know, instead of just an empty bag of uh, you know setters, getters, and builders, it's like great, Mm -hmm. they're maps, right? Right.
0: Um. So enclosure uh, apart uh, apart well enclosure we also have nippy right
1: yeah no we can talk about nippy um I'm not as familiar with it but um I've I've used it in the past I think it's I would consider it in the same category as uh, Eden where it it's more appropriate for usage when you are the the reader is closure and the writer is closure and obviously you have to have access to the nippy library because i don't i don't think it's um implemented anywhere else i don't really know what the the wire format is but i think it only exists on the jvm so um you know i think it it might be a good alternative if you are um if you're trying to uh do use cases for uh similar to Eden use cases but if you're doing stuff where you're interoperating with other languages or with um well yeah mostly with other
0: languages then it might not be uh
1: appropriate
0: Mm -hmm. right so um just you know looking up the nipi description um so it says it's a drop-in alternative to the reader oh Um, well there you go right um so if I would be using any of the data format, it doesn't really matter, right so I'm just communicating via you know Eden transit uh freshen whatever uh, and then I'm just reading them with nippy um would that be the way to go uh you're reading them with nippy
1: yeah, I'm not sure about that i think i I think you could you can serialize things as nippy, which is uh its own data format. Or you can serialize them as transit, but um, unless you're nesting NIP, nesting Nippy and transit, or nesting transit and Nippy, um, I think they're they're separate. So, um, mm. but I think Nippy would would be a a, a replacement for Eden.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I see. Um, is there anything else that we should um, mention or talk about when it comes to data formats? Um
1: well I I think they they're super important for people to uh understand and have uh judgments about and opinions about. Um, you know, everybody has an opinion about programming languages, but um if you ask people about data formats, um there's a lot less chat. So um um but it, it's it's you know, all of these data formats, they have different dimensions, different, um, characteristics, and, um, it's, it's important to be able to, um, to talk about those characteristics and to know when you can use one versus another. Um, obviously if you are talking to a third-party API, you know, if you don't control the, the other side, you know, you're subject to whatever is being used, but, um, when you're, when you're writing applications and services and systems, um, you usually control both sides. And so you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of, uh, flexibility and, and direction. So, um, but, but that means you have to understand the dimensions and characteristics so you can uh, choose between them for, for whatever your use case is. Um, Mm -hmm. but if you haven't looked at transit and you're doing closure, you definitely should look at, at Transit, especially um, the you know the Transit CLJ library is a fantastic library and um, it instantly improves. You know, if you're using Kafka or Kinesis or SQS, it would be great to just drop in Transit, and that way, when you read and write data structures, they you know it has conveys rich semantics across the wire, and that um, people forget how painful it is to parse dates all the time.
0: All right, so thanks again for coming on the show and talking about data formats. My pleasure. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating on the platform you're listening to, sharing with others, and supporting directly by buying some video courses and learning Script and Closure. You can check out the courses at jacekshare.com. That is K S C H A E. Dot .com thanks